hello. Welcome to Theologizing Life with Anthony Cottrell and Matt Tracy. I won't do the my whole <laughs> one and only Matt Tracy spiel. It's because uh, it makes me uncomfortable, and that's why you do makes it. Them, makes them uncomfortable. <laughs> just wait, Matt. When you're when you're teaching again, I'll just have to introduce you as Professor. Yeah, Professor Tracy. Yeah. So joining us today is Amber Stoffel and. Some of you who've listened to our podcast for a while know that Matt and I have been covering some topics and we've sort of just been discussing those things, he and I, and riffing on some stuff. But next couple episodes or some of our episodes interspersed here and there, we will have some guests joining us. And so Amber is joining us today. I always like to give our guests an opportunity to just tell us a little bit about who they are. So Amber? Who is Amber Stoffel in a nutshell? Yeah, so first, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on your podcast. So right now, I am a wife and a mother. So I've been married, it will be six years this year. And I have a, she'll be two years old, a daughter, and she'll be two in April, so we're an April family. So all of our birthdays are in April and my husband and I's anniversary is in April. So we usually do one big celebration. We'll go on a trip or something together. So we That's really awesome. like to travel together and we love being outside. We're just an outside family. So just going on walks or hikes or just whatever. So so where are you going this April? Not to interrupt totally, but what's no. what's the trip this month or this year? So this one isn't going to be a full out vacation, but we're going to Phoenix, Arizona. Um, My husband actually got his master's degree a few years ago, but he hasn't been able to walk for it because of COVID. So yeah, so we're going there to celebrate for that and he can walk for that finally. And we're just going to see if we can find any hikes around the area and just enjoy the warm weather. So <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So basically starting from the beginning, I grew up in a great home. I had great parents that I just had a really good relationship with. I did not grow up in a faith-based home, so I did not know about God or who God was and he was not a part of my life at all. So I started doing some things that I shouldn't have done in high school and it ended up, I ended up finding myself um, pregnant shortly after high school. I was obviously very scared and didn't know what to do after finding that out. Honestly, I had not, I, at that point I had not heard of abortion where I grew up. I just never really heard of that word for some reason, but I was around some friends at that time that we did some research online and discovered if I was early enough along that it was possible for me to go and just take a pill to end the pregnancy and all of my worries and fears would be gone and I could just move on with my life. So Mm. it seemed pretty easy and simple. So I decided to go that route. It seemed like it was normal for women to do that if they found their themselves in a crisis pregnancy. So um, I found the nearest clinic that offered the pill abortion and I took the first pill at the clinic and then they send you home with a second pill to take later on. So I completed that process. It's a lot more tra- traumatic than they make it seem. At that time, um, there's just a lot that happens that's not fully explained. So that left a lot of scarring in itself. But then I kind of just stuffed all that down, became really numb to what I had decided to do and just kind of went on with my life. So um, it wasn't until 2013 is when I met my now husband and we started our dating journey. And he grew up in a faith-based home and he had a, just a really strong foundation in Christ. So he knew I was not saved. And so he would subtly bring up God in our conversations. And I always had this curious curiosity about, you know, who is God and why does he keep talking about God and 
how he can help me. And so I just kept asking questions. And finally, one night I found myself just desperate for help. And honestly, God was the only one that could fill that void. And I knew that from the very start, as soon as I was saved and yeah, I was just so grateful. And I was baptized shortly after that, even though I had started this new life and walk in Christ, I was holding on to the shame and regret of my abortion decision and didn't really know who to talk to about it. You never really heard about people speaking about abortion, especially Mm -hmm. in the church setting. And that was where I was most fearful to step out and share my story because it's like, what are they going to think of me? I've done the worst of the worst, you know, all those things, all of those lies being fed into yeah. me. So I went on another few years holding on to that secret. And there was a time where a woman stepped out and shared her testimony in a small group. And there was a couple in that small group that knew a little bit about what I had been through. So they connected me with this woman and she became a mentor for me and she just shared how she had gone through an abortion experience and she found healing and freedom and that there was hope from that. So she had very strong ties to Retta. So she pointed me to Retta and one of the programs that they offer is abortion recovery support. So I decided to go through a weekend retreat style. And so I went from a Thursday to a Sunday and went through a whole Bible study solely based on post-abortion recovery. And it completely changed my life. I went in just thinking, how can I ever forgive myself for what I've done? Like I've done this horrible thing. Like how could I take my child away from, from me and, and do something like that. And there was a point in the study where it's brought up that we don't need to forgive ourselves. It's actually not anywhere in the Bible that says to forgive yourselves because Christ came to do that. He came to die on a cross Mm. for our sins and sin is a sin is a sin. So abortion is not this unforgivable sin. And all of that um, together, I was able to just receive that fully in my heart. I knew it in my head. I knew it. I had the knowledge that I was forgiven, but I didn't fully receive it in my heart. And so I was able to do that that weekend and just start walking in freedom in that. And I knew as soon as I left that retreat that I wanted to help other women walk through this healing and freedom. So I immediately got involved with Red and started volunteering right after that. Great. So is so Red is an acronym, it looks like. Can you can you share what it it stands for and kind of just the work overall that the organization does with women? Yeah. So Reda stands for Reason Enough to Act. And so Reda was established in 1885 and We do a lot of different things. So we were a pregnancy clinic and family resource center. So we offer a whole medical side, which we do free pregnancy testing, free ultrasound. We do STD testing and treatment if it's positive. And we have a mobile that actually goes out, a mobile unit that goes out in the area to like five different locations where if someone's not able to get to our actual location in Elkhart, downtown Elkhart, they can go to one of those locations and receive our medical treatments there. And all of our services are at no cost because of the wonderful donors in our area. We have most of our donors are churches, individuals, and businesses. So we're so grateful for them. So we can offer that at no cost to our clients. We have um, moms coaching, they can, the moms can come and receive coaching based off where they're at right now, whatever help they need, whatever stage that they're at with their children or just in their lives in general. Um, they have curriculum that goes from when they're expecting all the way through teen years. So 
just a lot of good resources for them. And we also have men's coaching and couples coaching. And that does a similar thing just based off uh, what they're going through. All of the, like the moms and dads, if they go through these courses, they can earn like money or bucks um, through that or coupons, if you want to put it that way. And they can use those through our family store that we have. The family store has everything that you can think of. So it has like diapers and wipes for the babies. It has clothes, car seats, just anything that they would need to help support their family. So they can use that. And I think that's pretty much it in a nutshell but of what we offer. So, so you kind of combine like education, family support, and financial support kind of all and spiritual support it sounds like as well so yeah definitely it's like all encompassing they can come and our goal is to show God's love to these families that come in they just need that support and that love in the moment of desperation and when they don't know where else to turn so and yeah and well one big thing that I left out (laughs) is what I do so I actually head up the post-abortion support program. So I walk through women through a Bible study that is specifically for a post-abortion and just kind of, it's, you can either do it a weekly style. So like 11 to 14 week, we'll meet once a week and walk through it that way, or we have the retreat style where you can go for a weekend and go through the whole program in that weekend. So whatever best suits them. And I wanted to mention here too, that we actually offer that for men as well. Jeff that's on staff here. He does the men's and couples coaching. He will walk the men through all that. So men hurt from abortion as well Mm -hmm. and we don't want to exclude them at all so we do offer that and we like to stress that so they know yeah that's really neat amber i want to go back a couple steps as you were sharing your story so we're going to dive a little bit more into some of the this abortion and pro-life conversation but um you mentioned in your story like you grew up not in a faith-based home and didn't really know much about God. And I just want to probe that a little bit, like what that was like for you and, and, and sort of that experience, because I did kind of grow up in the church. And I even heard recently, like a little on social media, like a little snippet of a, of a preacher who just sort of talked about the wickedness in our world, the wickedness of our generation, and they don't want to hear about God, but we got to preach the gospel anyways. And, and I understood where he's coming from and there's some truth in that, but sometimes, sometimes at least in my experience in certain pockets of, of Christian subculture, there's this perspective that, you know, we're in America, there are churches, we have Bible translations. Mm-hmm. Like if people aren't Christians, it's because they are just wicked and rebellious and have rejected God and because they have every opportunity, you know, they, they could, they could come to church if they wanted, but I don't feel like that captures, uh, I mean, I, I don't feel like that's, that captures the, the complexity of people's stories. So when you say you didn't grow up in a faith-based home and you didn't really know anything about God, um, do you mean, what do you mean by that? Do you literally mean you did not know it was not on your radar? You weren't actively rebelling against, like, what was that like for you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So for me, I was just totally oblivious to all of that. I had never really had conversations with anyone about God or just Christ or just any of that. Um, I remember going, when I was growing up, I would go to little like church events with my friends because they were in youth groups or something. So I would tag along with them because I spent the night, the night prior. And so I would go with them and just have fun. But like, I never had that moment where anyone sat down with me to help me encounter who Jesus is and talk to me about all that. So 
yeah, it was just a thing of, I wasn't purposely rebelling against him or just rejecting like, oh, I don't need God. Like, what is he going to do for me? It was just, I had never really encountered him in my life growing up. So yeah, yeah, that's the best way I can put it. Yeah. No, I think that's helpful because I think, I think that perspective can foster compassion rather than condemnation. And I just, I think uh, that's really important, the compassion. So coming back from that sort of aside, you, you talked about Greta and, and the work they do. I'm going to take another aside real quick with that. Some of the work that they do that you mentioned is sort of these free services and even the mobile unit going places. Like, why is that so important to sort of the cause to provide these resources at no cost. Yeah. So I think it's important to offer these services in our community at no cost, because a lot of the times that can be a hindrance for people to find help because they can't afford it or they, yeah, that can just kind of hinder them or make them step back and say, well, maybe I don't need the help or maybe I don't deserve the help um, if I have to pay for it. So it's nice to offer that so that they can come with, we don't have an agenda here. There's no agenda yeah. to what we're doing. We just want to help others and to show God's love in that. That is our ultimate goal. Like we want people to know God and, and what he can do for them and their life and just the transformation that we see in individuals and families here is just amazing. And I think it's just great that we're able to provide that, but it's only because of the donors that choose to give to what we're doing here is that when that we're able to offer those at no cost. So yeah, I think it's really important. How often do you find that finances are the primary factor in the decision to get or not get an abortion? Yeah, so it's actually, if you look at studies, I don't have specific ones in mind right now, but that's actually one of the highest reasons why women choose to get an abortion is because they're in a tight financial situation. Maybe they have kids already and they, they're like, I don't know how I'm going to have another child on top of all these bills that I have. And I have no support. Maybe they're a single mother and they just don't know what to do from there. So that is one of the biggest reasons. And there's resources too that we we come alongside other other organizations that help specifically for finances. They walk them through if that is like the final decision of them having an abortion. Mm-hmm. There are other reasons to have an abortion, but that is, yeah, one of the main concerns. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, having a kid is is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, my, my wife and I, we were semi-prepared for the cost, but just the, you know, buying formula and diapers and checkups at the doctor, it's, it's a lot of money. And I can see why, like, if you're not prepared for that expense, if you, if you don't find yourself in a a position where you where you can support another person in your family like I can understand why that would be really scary really intimidating for someone so yeah yeah and when people are people you know go to desperate measures when they're in desperate situations so Amber our podcast is called the theologizing life and so we sort of talk about those theological frameworks that are not just for academia but for life and so what are some of the theological or another way to say that is how does your faith now shape your perspective and convictions on what it means to be pro-life and and then even if you would speak to what what does that mean to be pro-life and what does that mean to you Yeah, so just going off of my personal experience, walking through what I walked through and the abortion experience, I, at the time, was being fed many lies about the situation that I was in, that it, I, it was just a blob of tissue. I didn't, I was not pregnant with a baby. I just had 
a clump of cells or like, you know, just terminology like that. So lots of lies being fed and that kind of fed into me deciding to get the abortion because I said, so what's the big deal then if I just do it? Because it's not actually a baby. It's just a blob of tissue. And yeah, so that really formed my decision. And I didn't realize that until I accepted Christ into my life. And uh, it was just unveiled before my eyes that I had taken a baby's life. And he just showed me that, yeah, it was a baby. And but also following that up with grace and love and just saying that even though I had done that, that I was forgiven because I, I brought that to him and I turned to him. I repented and he's forgiven me for that. And my baby's in heaven now and I'll get to see my baby again. So that just brings me happiness and hope, but also just being able to walk with Christ, I've really been open to, there's so much value to every life. Every life has value and God sees value in every life. And if we're walking with Christ, we should do the same. We should see value in every person, no matter who they are or what they've done, because that's God's heart for them as well. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good. I think it's, I think people would agree that like, you know, every, every life has value and the conversation I think in our culture is kind of shifted to, okay, then what defines life? And I think that's, that's one of the, the areas that uh, us and people who are pro-choice, we might be divided on is, you know, where does that actually begin? It's a philosophical, but also a scientific question that I think kind of drives the conversation and often drives a wedge between the two sides. I don't want to paint it as two sides of a, of a, of a, of a battle. I don't, I don't want to make enemies out of people I disagree with, but I think that's a, an important, you know, distinction that we have that kind of drives our convictions on, on the matter. Yeah, that's good. That's good, Matt. Cause I think sometimes it is portrayed as like, well, because, there there maybe have been times where a, a certain perspective has been maybe where sexism has been a piece, but it sometimes gets portrayed as being not, not, you know, in favor of women having individual rights. But I think it, it doesn't, for me anyways, it doesn't come from that place. It comes from, I have the conviction that life begins at conception. And so if you have that conviction, it is going to have a different trajectory, right? Like there's, there's different, different implications. And so that's where we disagree. I don't disagree that women should have individual rights. I don't disagree with a lot of other feminist things about, you know, equal pay and competency and abilities and all that, all that stuff. It's, it's, I I begin with a conviction, you know, that life begins at conception. And so that, that has an outworking, a different ripple effect of my perspective. Yeah. But. I want to ask about something you said in your, when you're telling your story, because you, you mentioned that men hurt from abortion too. Mm-hmm. And I think in our culture, especially that, that, that is something that is thrown by the wayside, you know, the men's perspective, you know, Anthony and I are, you know, Christian pro-life men who often we're told or the narrative of our culture tells us that we, we don't deserve to have an opinion on this, that we just need to shut our mouths. Like if we are against abortion, we're against women's health care. Mm-hmm. And I know in my heart that that's not a, a fair or accurate assessment of, you know, my character, my heart. Like I really do want the best for all people, including women, including children. So can you speak a little bit more to the ways that maybe your organization does support men? Also the the ways that this issue affects men specifically? Yeah, definitely. So specifically at Retta, we do think that men matter and there's not enough 
programs around here that are supporting men in different aspects. So we do have the Jeff heads up the men's coaching and also can walk them through the abortion recovery program as well. So those are specifics of like how we can help personally here at Retta. We're just seeing such a lack in our community of of support for men and fathers. And fathers are just as important as mothers. They play such an important role in the family and um, help lead and guide the family. So yeah, we we see a really big importance in that. So, and going off of what you were saying earlier, I also agree. I feel that, I feel that life begins at conception, but also I feel that there is proof in God's word that it can, it can be even before then. So just out of scripture. So if we look at Jeremiah 1, 5, it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. God knows you even before that. And he knows every day of your life. And we can find such comfort in that, that he knows us. He formed us. He created us. And we're so intricately made through him. Going off of that, I can say I understand how some people might think that abortion can go alongside with women's rights or health care. But at the same time, if we're so intricately made through Christ, how can we say that the baby is the same as the mother. I feel that the baby that's growing inside of the womb is so intricate in his or her way, own way and has its own DNA and just is its own being. So that's my opinion on it. I feel that I feel that that baby has just as much much rights as the mother and it's hard because that baby can't speak up for itself and it's defenseless and so that's a really tough situation and the whole argument of abortion being hand in hand with health care I just personally don't agree with that I feel as though it's harming more people than it is helping people. Healthcare is supposed to help people and and cure diseases and and help the people that are sick. And it's it's literally taking a life. And it's also taking a huge part from the mother and the fathers. And people don't realize that when they're before they choose that and go through that, it is in a way, killing the moms and dads too, just their life and their, and their walk with Christ. And just from that day forward, it's taking a a life from them. So. Yeah, this is, this is kind of in line a little bit with, with Matt, with something Matt said or asked, but like you work, you you specifically work with post-abortion support and then Jeff works with the men. And Mm -hmm. so you're, and you've already spoken a little bit to your experience and, and it, from what I've gathered from you, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to nail down or define, but there's just something you carry with you that you weren't told you would carry with you. And it's, it's painful. It's even almost shameful apart from the grace of Christ. And that's not really clear, but um, again, Jeff works with the men. So you, in, in, you maybe can't, directly speak, you know, from the perspective of the men, but I think sometimes, you know, we don't, we don't carry children in our womb. And so when my wife was pregnant, I had a very different experience than she did with the, the life that was growing inside of her. So I think it can be easy to sort of like, well, what kind of hurt does a, would, would the dad have? Like, what, what is it like for some of the men? Yeah. If you would, if you can speak to that perspective, I know Jeff works with the men and, and you've shared a little bit of your own story and you're not a man, but what would you, if you were to just describe it, how would you describe it? Yeah. So that's a good question. I can't directly speak into that, but 
I would say that they go through a lot of the same shame, regret, hurt, and pain through an abortion experience because women are designed to be, you know, nurturers and mothers. And I think that can coincide with men. They were designed to be fathers and lead families. And I think a part of that is taken away from them, just like it's taken away from the mothers. So I don't think it's any less hurtful for the men. I think it's just the same, but in different ways. I think we do probably feel it in different ways. I think we mourn in different ways, but that's not a bad thing. I do think it's important to speak into those situations and feelings in different ways, just because we're made so differently. And, and yeah, that hurt just attacks us in unique ways in our lives. And what I hear, at least from your story anyways, is I think sometimes people think, you know, people knowingly do something evil, so they should feel shame and regret, but in the conviction of God, but, but what I, what I sort of hear is there is a, a sense of regret and even shame that people experience, even if they don't have maybe the, the Holy Spirit's conviction, or they don't have the moral framework of a typical Christian. Like there's, it's, it's almost like a human thing that they, that, they have this internal sense that something's wrong. Would, would you agree with that? Yes, I completely agree with that. I personally, just going off of my story, I had that experience, even though I had stuffed it down every time, like if I was walking around or just on the radio or something, I would hear the word abortion. Like I would just cringe and it wasn't too much that I like heard of it, but if I heard it in like conversation or whatever, I knew like I was ashamed of it and I just wanted to keep stuffing it down and stuffing it down and hiding it from people and making it this big secret because I knew it was wrong. Even before I had accepted Christ, I knew it was wrong. Shortly after I had taken the pill, I knew it was wrong because I think it's just a natural thing that's within us that knew that in a way, like we already knew we took a life without totally understanding that. Yeah. Yeah. So in line with that, behind every decision is a person and even decisions we don't agree with, or even decisions we would say are wrong. How, how are you, and, and you have a unique perspective because of your story, but how are you able to humanize and have compassion for people who chose an abortion? Yeah. I've been able to encounter a lot of women, especially being a part of Retta on staff now and and heading up this program. I've seen a lot of women and just heard their stories of their abortion experience and where they were, what spot they were in at that time. And I think it's, it's hard because everyone's story is so different. It's so unique and why they made that decision. I know for me, I was just making the decision that felt right at that time. It was an easy way out. Yeah. But it was the only thing that I knew that I, that I felt that would let me move on with my life or that would make other people happy because they could move on with their lives when in reality, it was not that and it was not going to make it that way as I grew up and got older. But I think for a lot of these women, it's just desperation is the only word I can think of, especially when they're not being love and supports not being spoken over them. And they don't know of resources that they can go to. That's why it's so important for them to know um, about organizations like Retta and others in our area so they know where they can go when they find themselves in a pregnancy situation and they don't know who to turn to. A lot of women find themselves with a lack of support in their lives. The um, Maybe the father doesn't want the child or maybe the mom and her mom and dad don't and they're encouraging her to get an abortion. So a lot of it's just coming from the outside in 
and being spoken into her situation and society nowadays, it's becoming more well known and easier and normalized to have the chemical abortion because it's so easy and easily accessible and it'll be fast and quick and your worries will be gone. And so, yeah, a lot of it's just coming from the world around us and there can be a lot of pressure in that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get the so, sense that this is like, I think in our, in our culture, one of the more toxic ways that we, we try to argue our point is to make an enemy out of the other side. And mm-hmm. especially like conservative Christian culture, we have made an enemy out of people who are, who have chosen to have abortions because we see them as, you know, selfish or yeah. the abortion industry has some, it's just like an industry that has some kind of like bloodlust that they, they celebrate it. They, they, they want, they want it to be normal and encouraged, but I, but I don't get the sense from, from hearing your story and the stories of other people that this is ever a flippant spur of the moment decision that doesn't have any consequences or emotional consequences for the mother or the father. And I just think that's really important to, to understand that, you know, that the caricature in your mind of someone who disagrees with you or has chosen something that you might not have chosen for yourself, that's not always accurate. And that's not always, that's not always the person's story. That's not their, their identity. So I think that's an important thing to keep in mind when, when we're having these conversations. It's to not make a caricature out of someone, to not make an enemy out of someone, because yeah. that's a that's not who God sees them as. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I I I just want to affirm and agree with that. I I heard a couple things. We need to listen to people's stories. I also hear the word desperate comes to mind, mm-hmm. and then the scripture Isaiah forty two three came to mind with that. Someone mentioned it, so maybe that's why it's fresh in my mind. Someone mentioned it yesterday, but it says a bruised reed, he will not break, and a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. Like, a, God God isn't going to take someone who's bruised or who is, who's, you know, internal, if you want to use the metaphor, flame is, is sort of about to go out. He doesn't just break it or snuff it out. He's gentle. And then I heard deceived, that there were lies that you were told. And people who are deceived are, are victims of lies. And, and I don't mean to create a victimhood mentality, but I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that. I, I just, I feel like that should garner compassion, not condemnation. And you talked about being lied to. But yeah, anyways. This issue has become very politicized. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time... Politics take away the humanity of the situation because it's us versus them, the Democrat versus the Republican, the conservative versus the liberal. So is it necessary to have like a political bent, you know, or I guess in in what ways is the the pro-life cause a political one? In what way in in what ways is it more more than that, you know, more complex than that? Yeah. I feel that we're in a really big battle right now with everything going on. There's so much going on in that realm, in the political realm. And I do feel that it's important to have like the pro-life activists out there in that realm so that we can combat what's going on and what's trying to be pushed into our society And I mean, Washington has an agenda and a lot of what's going on is just lies and it's taking away life from our world. And they're trying to make it so much easier to get an abortion just with the push for this chemical abortion and and right now with it being available online even, and women can just purchase these pills online and take them in their home. It's just, it really is just, yeah, the enemy is here to kill and destroy. And I feel like that is what's happening is just, it's such an attack. And 
we do need to combat that and stand up for what we know is right as pro-life Christians. And I feel that that is important. But I feel like even more than that, I think it's so important with the going back on the argument of when life actually begins. I feel like that's where it comes in as so much more because there's so much argument out there that it life begins when the heart's beating or, you know, just certain stages like that. And those, those lies are just being magnified and being fed into people's lives when, when we know as Christians, like it happens at conception or God even knows us before then. So, and there's so much proof in the word and in scripture that shows that. And I feel like that's so important just to understand and know the value of life and when life actually begins, I feel like it's the bigger picture of it all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I kind of hear you saying that you you mentioned the enemy and you didn't speak of the enemy as other people. You spoke of the enemy as, you know, the lies that are fed into our society. Like the lie that this, you know, this pill is just going to make your problems go away you know, this decision doesn't really have consequences. It's just going to make life easier for you. So like, you know, the, the enemy is not, you know, scripture says we, we don't, our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's spiritual. And I just think that this is another instance of that where the enemy we're fighting against is deception. It's lies. It's falsehoods that people are told. And in, in some ways people are being taken advantage of when they're in a desperate situation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I appreciate that perspective. Yeah, and Matt, you went the. I pulled up on my phone the Ephesians six twelve for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. I'm I think that is so important. Paraphrasing or quoting scripture from memories. So. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's okay. I've, I've been known I, to I, butcher things, so I'm glad you found that. <laughs> yeah, I pulled it up. I knew, I knew. Uh, yeah, we were on the same page. Like, what I think is important about that is what I hear Amber saying, and Amber, correct me if I'm wrong, but like the political activism is important because there are legislative things and things that can only be sort of counteracted through that process through legislation and laws and things. Um, But what I also hear is that there's a spiritual enemy that has deceived people and is at work. And um, I had this, what I guess I want to say, and Amber, you can, you can correct me if I say this wrong, but what I have seen is I've seen people take up that political activism and in doing so they completely demonize the other side. And in so doing, they've ceased to be pro-life in the fullest sense in my opinion because they will post things or talk about the other side in ways that are dehumanizing like they will you know jesus the same passage of teaching where jesus talks about not murdering he talks about not saying fool or raka to your neighbor which doesn't make sense to us but essentially it's don't degrade other human beings with your words and so I just want to say, I think we can fight for the truth, but we need to remember other people are not the enemy. And the moment we start demonizing and dehumanizing and degrading the other side, we're really not being pro all, you know, pro life in the truest sense. I have this picture of Peter in the garden of Gethsemane when the guards come to arrest Jesus and he pulls out his sword and he hacks off the dude's ear. They were coming to crucify Christ, which is portrayed as not a good thing. They crucified God. But Jesus's way of fighting back was not to pull the sword out and hack the dude's ear off. Jesus actually healed the guy's ear. So I think sometimes we can take Peter's route instead of Jesus's route. And I just want to say, yes, let's be pro-life and and let's be activists. Let's be, let's stand up for that. But let's still make sure we take the route of Jesus, not Peter. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. Going off of that, I just feel like there is, it is important to stand up and speak for life and um, the desire of God's heart, but there is a harmful way to do that as well. And that can really hinder 
the work that we do for Christ as well. I know that a lot of people are very passionate and just want to see all of this end, which I agree. I would love for all this to be over and done with and abortion just to be not just uh, illegal, but unthinkable. Like we just would Mm -hmm. never, uh, it wouldn't be a thing anymore, but there is a way to do it out of love. And, and the way that God wants us to do it and not working out of our selfish desire. Yeah. Yeah. I think and that's one of the things that I appreciate about you and the organization you work for is that you're combating it, not with a sword. It's not, you know, open combat condemning the other side. You're combating it with education and support, which I think, man, that goes such a long way in, yeah. Just and even healing just their perspective and heal and and you know we're not you know the way of Christ isn't one of condemnation it's one of redemption and if we incorporate that into everyone's story I just think there's so much progress that can be made yeah I've been so grieved I've seen like comment threads or something that talk about you know women like needing to keep their legs closed or like I, they they're murderers I hope they they burn in hell and it's just like Oh, good Lord. Like, yeah. no, <laughs> like that should not be our heart. We should not want that for anybody. And um, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. I think, thank God you encountered Christians who were willing to walk alongside of you and take you to the Jesus who heals, not a Jesus who is ready to throw a stone at you or like roast you on an open fire. <laughs> yeah. Well, so there's, you mentioned like churches financially partner. And I don't know if we said this, we should clarify. I got connected to you through our church. I works mostly in Elkhart County in Northern Indiana, um, but there's other uh, organizations. There's one where Matt's at, I forgot the name of it. I've moved out of the Line. area. Is that Heartline? Yeah, Heartline, yeah. Heartline Pregnancy. So there's other ministries, organizations like it. But in addition to that financial partnership, which is huge, just mm-hmm. all of us have worked in nonprofits. I think we can all say we are completely dependent on those financial partnerships, but say I'm a church goer and I'm passionate about the issue, but I don't really know what I, what I could do. Or let's say like I meet someone, you know, a young woman who's had an abortion. What are some ways that I just a normal everyday church goer who wants to help? What are some ways I can help maybe with organizations like yours? And then what are some practical tips for ministering to young women or young men who were in your shoes almost almost 10 years ago. Yeah. So one of the biggest things that people can do if they are passionate about this issue is prayer. So prayer is huge and everyone can do that. It's something that's very simple and we can go to the Lord with our concerns and hurts about what's going on right now. So prayer and prayer just over all of these organizations that are trying to help these families. So we always encourage prayer for us here at Retta. We have awesome supporters that do that for us on a regular basis. And we definitely welcome that. <laughs> and we need a lot of it because with the work that we do, there can be a lot of attacks. And so that is very important. I would say also, if you're passionate and you want to get even more involved than that, we have volunteer options. You can come in and do volunteer jobs here for us. We have many different ways you can get involved that way. There will be even more opportunity for that once we move into our new building location as well. And um, that would be another way. And I would say... Going off of what you said earlier, if you do encounter any woman or man that has gone through an abortion experience themselves, I would say just being open to listen to their story. Or if you don't feel that you can carry that, I feel that just pointing them to the right resources. So pointing them to Retta, pointing them to Heartline, pointing them to anyone in your area that can help them and help 
carry that burden with them. We're supposed to help carry burdens with one another. And I feel that we try and do that the best way we know how here at Reda and, but also just show them God's love as well. So those are some, some ways that you can get involved if you're passionate about what's going on. Yeah. And I just want to real quickly say, like you said, you can volunteer and there's multiple ways. I I think sometimes you could list out all those ways, but I also think if you're interested, I would just say call. And what I've found is if you call and say, Hey, what do you, what do you need right now? Or what are ways you can volunteer? And maybe even tell them if you have limitations or you have specific gifts, you can tell them and, and they'll, they'll be overjoyed that you took the initiative to call and offer to volunteer and they will find a way to plug you in. So yeah, that's, I'll just say that. Yeah. Well, we are about out of time, I think. So just want to thank you for all the ways that you've stirred up conversation and, and helped the conversation along. I just think this conversation is really important for all Christians and non-Christians and, and pro-life and pro-choice people to have, because I, I really think that the the only way to move forward is interaction and conversation instead of, you know, hunkering down in your bunkers and lobbing grenades at the other side. And we'll, we'll put Reda's website in the, you know, the episode notes and everything so people can have that information if they, if they want to share it or if they want to get involved some way. So, yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, thank Amber, you so thank much you. for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a joy. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us on Theologizing Life. And if you found this episode helpful or you would like to just share this story, like, share, word of mouth is always the best, always the best way to, to get things out. So you can help us in that way. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, this is Theologizing Life with Anthony Cottrell and Matt Tracy. The one and only. (laughs) The one and only. And Amber Stoffel. Yes.